Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Charlie Lofton, uh, lead pastor here. Really glad you're here. Um, especially just when I want to welcome, this is kind of the first Sunday back for a lot of college students. And if you're a college student, you're visiting here, we're really glad that you're here. And um, we've got some Bible studies, some things you got kicked off for you guys coming in the next week or so. And so right outside, um, there's some opportunities there just to sign up. We just love to know that you were here. We're at Razor Bash on Sunday giving cups and stickers away. So you can just go out there and just grab you one of those and meet some people. And we'd love to get you better connected. We love having students here in our community, and our church, and so really glad you're here. And we are, we're kicking off a new series um, called Love Does, based on this really uh, incredible book, and it's just kind of a time for us as a church to kind of focus together really on what, what the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture is, that we need to love others um, the way that we love ourselves. And so this book is an incredible book to kind of help us put some action to that rather than just something we talk about. And um, spoilers here, we are going to talk a little bit about the book through these sermons, so if you haven't read yet, I apologize. This is a story that he tells pretty early on that I'm, honestly I was just, I was, I, was blown, I was blown away by this, right? So this guy, this guy, Bob Goff, who's now this incredibly successful lawyer, does incredible nonprofit work, speaker, motivator, I mean just incredible guy. Well, he, at one point he was an idiot high school student, and he was, he was a junior and was planning on dropping out. And he had this. He had this plan. You know, he was just going to drop out. He was gonna, ever in California. He was going to move east, go out there to the mountains, and he was going to climb mountains during the day and get some job. And he was just going to live the life as a climber. And so, on his way out of town, he stops at uh, the house of this guy who was on staff with a ministry called Young Life. And Young Life is a high school ministry primarily, and not really a, a youth ministry for kids who are in church, but for the kids who won't go to church. So he stops by this dude's, this dude's house to tell him his plan. He's like, man, I just want you to know, man, I just kind of love getting to know you, but, you know, I'm dropping out of school. I'm, I'm heading out. I'm not coming back. Just wanted to say goodbye. And, 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 and this dude, you know, this, this, you know, this adult kind of looks at him and says, hold on just a second. He goes inside and comes back with a backpack and says, I'm with you. And so on a moment's notice, this guy joins forces here with this high school student, making the dumbest decision of his life, and says, I'll go with you. I'm with you, buddy. And so they hop in this car and start heading out. And, and the next few weeks go exactly like you think that they would. Right? Um, he is in an off-season at a tourist place. He's climbing mountains, and nobody's hiring anybody. And so he is fast running out of money. Uh, they, they, are, they are sneaking on to campsites with pre you know, kind of tents that are already put up, and they're just kind of sneaking in there and sleeping, running out of money. He's applying for jobs, not finding anything, getting more and more discouraged. And every day, this, this young life leader says, man, I'm with you. And so after a few weeks of this, uh, Bob, uh, who is, you know, the guy who writes the book, who's the junior, says, man, this isn't really working out. Um, I think maybe I should just go home. And, um, and finish school. He says, man, that's what you want. I'm with you. So they drive back. Um, and so Bob drops him off at his house. And as he, as he walks in the house, he notices that there's a lot of unpacked boxes and a lot of recently opened gifts and finds out that this dude had just got back 
from his honeymoon. And so he, he's been married for two days, three days, a week, I don't know what. He's been married for a short amount of time. This kid, this idiot kid with this stupid plan comes to him, and he goes in and tells his brand new wife, I, I got to go. When are you going to be back? I don't know. What are you doing? I'm not sure. I just got to make sure this kid don't kill himself. And he just goes. Now, I, I tell you this. I tell you this. When, when, when I tell a story, like from my own life, you should treat it with a measure of skepticism. Not that the core, not that the core value of the story that I tell isn't true. It's just, just you know, maybe put a little flourish on it from time to time. I read this story, I'm like, bruh, no way. No, no, no way. There's no way that that story is true. It just, it, in my mind, I just can't put my mind around it. It's, it. It just can't be. It really can't be that this guy who had only been married a week told his brand new wife, I'm going to get in this Volkswagen with this kid and we're just going to go climb and he's going to try to get a job and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when I'm going to be back. But I got to take care of this kid. It, I just, it can't be. And I, and I start thinking about my own skepticism about it. Why am I so skeptical of this story? Why is it that I can't imagine out that there would be somebody out there who would do that? Well, I think it says less about that guy and says a lot more about me. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I would Christian the situation up here a little bit. You know, I'd, I'd pastor the situation a little bit. Well, brother, brother, uh, can I pray for you before you go? You sure this is what you want to do? You talk to your mama. Here, here's my number. If you need anything, you can call me. He already needs something. He needs help. And I'm offering him my number. He can call me if it gets worse. I don't know how it's going to get worse. And, 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 and I would pat myself on the back, you know. I didn't judge him. I loved him. I prayed for him. And I sent him to his death. <laughs> this dude laid, laid his life aside. I'm going to put my life on pause to love this kid. And that phrase that he would say, and he just repeats it, Bob repeats it all throughout the story. He would just say to him, I'm with you. I'm with you. And there really is, there's just something powerful about that statement. It's a, it's a statement of love, but it's not just some empty statement of love. It's not some empty statement of love, and, and really, honestly, I think this, th this book, this series, I hope, is really going to challenge us to kind of reorient our definition of love. Because he, I mean, he, was, he was saying, I love you, by not saying the word, but by being there, by saying, I'm with you. Sometimes I think when we, say the, when we say, I love you, what we mean is, emotionally, I feel nice things about you. And really, honestly, what I often it means, I like the way you make me feel. Right? It's about what you do for me. I love that. I love, I love who you are for me. This is something very different than that. This is, this, is, this is love does. This is an incredible, one incredible act of service. 
And, and, and he did it by being with him. So he says that over and over again, I, I, I'm with you, I'm with you. And it brings to mind essentially one of these names for Jesus. This name of Jesus where he was described in the way that he loved and served us in the very same way as being with us. And so we're going to, we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 1 today. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at it a little bit of the way that Jesus loves us and kind of how that then applies to us. So I don't want you to be disoriented. This is not Christmas in July, but we are going to be looking at a passage that is a historically Christmassy passage. It's not Christmas in July. You're not going to go out there and you have to, we're raising money for something. There's going to be presents or anything like that. And it really is okay. I just want you to, I just want you to know it is okay to look at a passage that is connected to Christmas in August. Okay? I want you to feel the emotional freedom. Maybe I'm only talking to myself. Maybe only I'm triggered by this. But it's fine. It's fine, Charlie. It's fine. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this is actually one of my favorite pieces of the Christmas story because I think it gets underreported a little bit how amazing a guy Joseph is and really the struggle that he must have been going through. Like we know, we, we, we know the end of the story. He was, he was living the story. He was engaged to, to a woman who turns up pregnant that he had never had sex with. And I just cannot even imagine the emotional turmoil that he is going through and, and what he's feeling just... Uh, anger and, and, and sadness and, and, and fear and disappointment and, you know, what is, you know, it, it, his whole life has been turned upside down. Yet we see he's trying to be a good guy. He's like, I can't, I can't marry her. I don't, I don't want to get her in, in, in too much trouble. And so I've just got to figure out a way to kind of quietly put her aside and we can just, we can just end this. And then God visits him in a dream and is like, hey, man, it, it's okay. This is something that I did. It doesn't have any, there's, no, there's no other dude involved. This is something that I've done. And this, and this person, he's going to be your son, and, and he's actually my son, and, and you're going to name him Jesus. And, and Jesus, kind of the same name as Joshua, it, it, it talks about, it means to, to, to save. And so he's, the reason we're gonna, you're going to name him Savior is because, because he's going to save the world from his sins. And, so, and then Joseph, man, he does exactly that, which I just cannot even imagine the level of faith that it would take for, for, for Joseph to be able to do that. And then, you know, continues on, you know, to, to describe, it says, you know, and, and this took place to fulfill this prophecy where the virgin is going to give birth to a son and he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it's kind of this description, these predictions about what Jesus is going to do and, and who he's going to be and what we're going to feel about him when he's there. And so kind of the big picture idea I, th I want to get from this 
is that Jesus loves us by being with us. He's described as Emmanuel, God with us. So we've kind of got these two different names here. One, his actual name, which is Jesus, which means he's going to save. But it also says that he's going to be called Emmanuel. So for our purposes, we'll just call it a nickname. But really what, what the, the, the meaning of this is like when, when people are around him, what they're going to feel, what they're going to think about him, as this guy is showing us, is demonstrating to us that God is really with us. So he's going to save us, and he's also going to show by the way that he lives that God's with us. And so we know, I mean, most of us know, at least this idea about Jesus coming to save people from sins. He, he came here, he did a lot of things, he taught us, he, he did miracles, he loved on the poor and, and the hopeless, but he also died. He died on the cross and, and was essentially executed um, for spiritual reasons. Essentially as a, as a payment for, for our sins. Our sin makes us worthy of death and separation from God. Jesus takes that on himself and dies so that we can have life and forgiveness through God. Now, in order for to do that, he obviously had to come here. He had to be a person. He had to live life. But there's any number of lives that Jesus could have lived. He could have been born in a palace. He could have really not been... Born at all, he could have just kind of just kind of popped down here, right? But instead, he was born as a small baby and lived in the humblest of circumstances. And he lived and acted in such a way that it communicated to the people who needed to hear it the most that God was with them. The God, the God of the universe, and he's with you. He is both physically present and emotionally connected with you. He's on your team. Because here's the thing that I can think would happen. If I, if I, if I describe God to you, you think God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, the, who can speak the universe into existence just with words, which is crazy. If I describe that to you, that's who God is. God's, God's the kind of being that can go, universe. And boom! The whole universe comes into existence. Now, maybe we've graduated beyond old dude and beard on cloud. That's not who we think of. But I say speaks universe into existence. That God, he's out there. He is intimidating. He is powerful. I can see why we're supposed to worship him. I can see why we're supposed to obey him. I can see maybe why we should be scared of him. But I have no reason to believe that God is with him. He's up there being big and awesome and creating universes with words. And I'm here just some idiot. There's, there's a huge gap there. Maybe I'm obligated to him in some way. But he's not, he's not with me. He's not on my team. And then Jesus comes so that we will know and experience that God is with us. He is physically present and relationally close. He's with me. He's on my team. And, and, and we learn something new about God that is probably not particularly intuitive to us through the life of Jesus. And so he sacrifices his life for us. He is with us. He is on our team. He loves us in, in, in our darkest moment to come to save us. This is who Jesus is, and this is how he loves us. And here's the catch for us is that not only does Jesus love us by being with us, 
is that Jesus asks us to do the same. He asks us to do the same. This is what he asks us to do. In John chapter 13, what Jesus says is, hey, I've got a new commandment for you. And I love this passage. Several things I love about this passage. There's one part about it's kind of weird, right? He says, a new commandment I give to you. You should love one another. I'd be like, dude, I mean, I ain't trying to correct Jesus or nothing, but I don't think that's new. I mean, people have been saying love I me mean, all throughout the Old Testament. It's not particularly new for you to say that we should love each other. This is it. New commandment I give to you. You should love one another. That's not the new part. New command I give to you. You should love one another. As I have loved you, you should love one another. And then he says this. And this is how everybody's going to know that you follow me by the way that you love each other. So... Love, that's not new. But to love the way that Jesus loved, that's new. To move beyond warm feelings, to move beyond this idea that to love means I, I, I like what you do for me, to, to be thinking about love in terms of selfish, like I, I, I love how this makes me feel. I love what you do for me. But instead turning love around to say what love is, is incredible acts of service. To lay down your life for somebody and to say, I'm going to be with you. That's a new idea. It was new to the people that he said it to. And to be honest, it's a new idea about love for most of us. If we're going to be honest about the way love, loving people, functionally plays out in our life. What Jesus is talking about in being one who saves and lay down, lays down his life. And, and in order for him to say, that, that he is with us, that he is relationally and physically close. That's new. And then what he says is, is that if you'll do this, the world will know that you follow me. A world that is desperate for this kind of love. And so if we want to love the way that Jesus did, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to exhibit a little bit of that Emmanuel. Where, where, where because of the way that I'm loving you, you know that I'm with you. And then ultimately, through that, you'll know that God is with you. Because we're modeling the way that Jesus said, I'm going to love you, then they're going to know that I follow Jesus. So you'll know I'm with you. And then hopefully, eventually, you can figure out now that God is also with you. So what does it look like? What does it look like if we're going to love somebody with that kind of Emmanuel kind of love. I'm going to be with you. What does, that, what does that look like? Because again, the whole idea of this book, the whole idea of this series is not to sit around and just kind of talk about um, general vague concepts, but to really put some love does, some action to this. So what does it look like? We'll just look at a couple things, right? So Jesus loves us by being with us. He asks us to do the same. So what does that look like? The first thing is, is we need to be fully present with people. Be fully there. I'm, when I'm with you, I am fully with you. Now, if I were a different pastor, different church, something like that, you know, a different idea, or maybe if I just didn't have a high school student and a college student as, as, as my daughters, maybe I would do kind of what it becomes a very typical, normal rant that you'll hear. I've heard it. I've actually heard it from, from pastors. You can read it online. We'll start talking about kids these days, Right? Oh, kids these days, they're never really where they are. Every time you see kids these days, they got their faces in their phones. Their faces in their phones, and they're just looking at stuff, and they're, they're missing out on life because they got their face in their phone. Kids, millennials, you're ruining everything. Get your face out of your phone. 
And then the old people are like, woo, yeah, millennials, kids are the worst, woo. And then you isolate all the kids and they hate you, right? Well, here's the thing. You should try that sometime. Try that on a kid. Um, give, give, them the, give them the kids these days speech. And you know what you're going to hear back? Like, how about the suburban moms and their Facebook? <laughs> you on your phone more than I am, right? It's a... And, 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 then just, and then you're like, yeah, yeah my, my bad, my bad. So it's easy to project it. It's, it's not that the rant is bad in, in what it says. It's just, let's just, can, just, can we just be honest? That rant that you hear, let's just say the audience is too narrow. I mean, there a lot of us of all ages struggle with that because of these devices that we have that we're not fully present where we are. I'm with you. I'm I'm on the date. I'm I'm hanging out. We're having coffee. We're we're at home together, and I'm 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 physically with you, but I'm not with you. I'm I'm somewhere else. And I think we can also be honest. We don't need a smartphone to be completely distracted from the opportunity that we have to be fully with somebody in a moment. You don't need a you know a TV will work, but you don't even need a TV. You can have every electronic device in the world shut off. It could be, there could be a power outage and cell phone towers are down and there's just you and this person in the woods and you could still not be fully there because you're thinking about the next thing. You're thinking about what you should be doing. You're thinking about your to-do list. You're, you're thinking about all of these other things and you're not fully there with them. Or what you're thinking about is, I have an agenda with this person, and I need to get these tasks and these things from them. I need to get this information from them, and I move on. But it would not be true to say that I am fully with you. Jesus was with people. He was fully present. He was fully invested in them. And that's who God has called us to be. I'm going to put aside the distractions. I'm going to put aside all these other things, and I'm going to be fully present. And honestly, I I feel like I should say this. It's my own issue, I guess. I I really struggle with this. Um, If if they had been diagnosing people back in my day, I would have most certainly been uh, diagnosed with ADHD. I took one of these, uh, take several of these online tests. Um, whether or not you have adult ADHD, and, and my computer blows up. Like, my score so high, like, the computer melts, right? And so there's something about, you know, being, be, being having three or four things going on at once that really just kind of feels, it feels like it settles me a little bit. And so you know, I'm, I'm on the phone while, while watching TV, while talking to somebody, and kind of doing, like, three or four things at once. And, and, and it feels, maybe it's just an addictive thing, I don't know, but it feels normal to me. It feels helpful. But in that meanwhile, I'm, I'm missing something amazing right here. And, and I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure out with my family, with my friends, that I'm, when I'm with them, I, I want to be with them. Because this is what God has called us to do to be, to be people who are fully loving and fully present, not, not, not distracted by something, not focused on my own agenda, not, not thinking about my next thing that I have to do, but in this moment, in this time, with this family member, with this friend, with this person that God has placed in my path who needs help and love and encouragement, I'm going to be fully present. I'm going to be with them. And so when I'm there, I'm there. 
This is what it means to be with somebody. I'm going to be fully present. There's another piece to that. We need to be fully present, but we need to be fully present no matter what. And this is honestly, as a pastor of a church, this is where I feel like we really have struggled. Not we, just us. I'm talking about globally we. That we can love somebody, you come in here and you're good and I'm good and we're good and everything's good and we'll sing songs together and we'll talk about Bible together and everything's fine until you do something really stupid. And then at the point at which you do something really stupid, the shunning begins. Well, I, I, I was going to be with you, but now, now you've done this thing. Now, 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 now I can't. I can't. It's not good for me to be with somebody who would do the kind of thing that you just did. And so I'm with you, asterisk. Conditions may apply. And, and, and that's what we've become. When really what God has called us to do is to be with people no matter what. And this means primarily, if you really want to live this out, You're only going to be able to live it out if you are with people in their worst times. Because that is when they are going to need you the most. And so uh, the the one way is is when when, when some tragedy comes upon them. When someone is sick, when someone is dying, when someone, someone is dead. You want to say, I'm going to be with them. Some of us are intimidated by that. Some of us feel like we don't know what to say. But when someone is going through a hard time, that is when they most need us to be with them. We can't pull back because it makes us uncomfortable. I've got to make sure they know I'm with them. And it's just a little helpful hint. This is is a practical hint. Somebody's going through something really terrible, a, a sickness, a death, something like that, and you feel like you don't know what to say. That's probably the best instinct you'll ever have. Don't say nothing. Just be with them. You don't have to say anything. They just need somebody there with them. And for some of us, that can be a little bit hard. But for most of us, we, we know that that's the right thing to do. But what about when the bad thing that's happened to them isn't something that happened to them, but it's something that they did? They, they did the dumb thing. They did the stupid thing. They ruined their own life. Will we still be with them? Now I have an opportunity. I have opportunities all the time. You know, it's part of my job. You know, people when they're in their worst moments, funerals, sicknesses, hospitals, those kinds of things. It's it's what I do. And for most pastors, they find that relatively natural. Most Christians do too. But I also have the opportunity, and you do as well. I see a little bit more of it because of my job, I guess. But you see these people, and they do something terrible. And, And I get to hear these stories. And sometimes people come in here with these stories. They come in here and 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 they have done something or are doing something that has wrecked them. Jesus had all sorts of these kinds of encounters with with prostitutes and thieves and adulterers 
and people who are doing all sorts of things that have just, they have just completely undone themselves. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to help get you out of this. I'm going to help you find the healing and the forgiveness and the restoration that you need. I don't care if whatever it is you are now, if that gets on me. If people think now, I'm a little... These people used to say to Jesus all the time, like, I can't believe these people that you're hanging out with. And he's like, I'm a doctor. Doctor Doctors hang out with sick people. This is what we do. This is what we do. We come to people in their worst moments. We receive people in their worst moments, and we love them through it. We are with them. And sometimes people are going to come here... And they're going to have their worst moment while they're here. And we're going to be with you. And we are going to help you find the redemption and the love and the forgiveness and the restoration that Jesus, the one who saves, Emmanuel, who shows that God is with you, we're going to show that love to you. This is who God has called us to be as a church. Let me tell you, if this is who God has called us to be as a church, the only way that that is going to work is if we all decide individually that that's who I'm going to be personally. I'm not going to abandon people in their worst. I'm, 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 I'm not going to be afraid of having somebody else's sin get too close to me. I'm going to love people in tangible, physical, emotional, presence kind of way, no matter what they go through. Can you imagine such a place? Can you imagine a place that is full of people that no matter what pain or past or baggage you bring in with you, that you will be loved and carried through it? I can imagine such a place. I imagine this is exactly what this place is and certainly what it is becoming. And this is who God has called us to be. So I encourage you. I encourage you as we move kind of to a response time um, if this is going to be true if this is who I'm going to be if I'm going to be fully present with people if I'm going to if, if my love is going to look like service if my love is going to be look like bearing and carrying people through their worst times I, well, the first thing we got to do something's got to change in me God's going to have to undo some selfishness in my heart so maybe that's where our prayer starts God I just pray that you will undo the selfishness in me so that when my moment comes, I'll, I'll pack the backpack and I'll go. And after you do some praying for that, I encourage you, man, to pray the second thing. But be careful. Be careful. There are certain prayers that, you, that, that if I encourage you to pray, I have no doubt that they'll be answered overwhelmingly and faster than you can possibly imagine. So just be careful. This is one of those generic prayers that you pray and then just, you know, you, you feel nice afterwards. This is a real prayer that God's just ready to answer. And the prayer is this, God, give me an opportunity this week to show this kind of love to somebody who needs it. It'll show, that, that, that opportunity will show up before you know what happens. I mean, before you, maybe before you get the words out of your mouth. There's, there's one thing that this world is not lacking people in broken places in desperate need of unconditional love and acts of service. So you should pray it, but you should be careful. You'd be ready, which is why we got to pray the first thing first. 
that God will undo and unmake the selfishness that lives inside me so that I'll be ready when the moment comes. So let's pray that for ourselves individually. Let's pray for, our, for us as a church that this is who we will big picture be because then the world will know, the world will know that we follow Jesus and this is a place of love and we'll change the world. Because it's crazy, you know, this Bob Goff guy, he writes this book, and ultimately by the time he finished this book, you'll realize his life has impacted millions of people. And it's, it's incredible. It's incredible what he's done. You know who hadn't written a book? Random young life guy in California. But through one incredible act of service, changed the world of this one dude, and changed the lives of millions of people through him by one incredible act of service. You never know what God is going to do. But let me tell you, I know this. He changes the world and changes people's lives when his people commit incredible acts of love and service with people who need it. So let's pray. There's communion available in the back. There's prayer candles. Lots of different ways to respond. We have an opportunity to give as well. But let's, let's ask God to help us be people who really know that love doesn't just simply feel, but that love does. Let's pray. God, I thank you first and foremost for the incredible example of your son Jesus. God, I thank you for how he laid down his life for us so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with you. And God, I pray that for those of us who are here who are still kind of processing what that really means, God, I pray that we will accept that and make it personal to us, that we will know that you did that for us. We will receive that, God. We will believe that you did it and receive it into our lives. And God, I thank you for the life that he lived and the incredible example of being with people, loving people, serving people, being with people in their worst moments. And God, I pray that that is what you will help us become. And God, you will give us opportunities this week to do and be that. We love you, God. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.